nature of how they are wired, they are optimists. They might see a bad situation, and Brother Mike can look through that bad situation and see some how possibly good could come out of that. There are some people that are pessimists. I happen to be among that number. I'm not saying that with any measure of pride at all. I just believe in truth in advertising. I try to be an optimist, a married one. Every once in a while I can even rain on her parade. But I have a tendency to kind of look at the negative side. I don't know if it was because I was born in the state of Missouri and our motto, show me. I'm not exactly sure, but I, I often replace, Brother Jimmy, the word pessimist with the word realist. Amen? And, and, and try to persuade my wife that I don't live in some artificial make-believe world. Amen? Amen that ends with a Hallmark sunset. Amen? And everybody, everybody just being happy in one big family. Sometimes it don't all end that way. But I think everybody, even an optimist, has times when you encounter something or something confronts you and you just feel hopeless. You feel empty. There's no promise of anything ever improving. Maybe it's a struggle that you, a battle that you fight, a, a something you're trying to get victory over and it doesn't seem like there, there will ever be victory over your struggle. And I've observed in my own life and in the lives of those that have, amen, talked with me that Satan is usually very adept at taking advantage of those kind of situations. He accuses us to ourselves and tells us that what we've done is dumb and foolish. And we are just suffering, amen, the results of, of our failures and our foolish actions. And then he turns and accuses God and tells us that God's unfair. This really shouldn't be happening to us. And sometimes they'll bring people even to the place they begin to doubt whether God's even real. How could God allow something like this to happen when all I try to do or all I've endeavored to do is thus and so? Ladies and gentlemen, I heard somebody make the statement that Satan knows our name, but he calls us by our sin. He's the accuser of the brethren. <laughs> but I'd like to report to you tonight that although God knows my sin, he calls me by my name. Well, that should have got a bigger amen than what it got. So let me try that again just in case you all are still cold from seeing snow in March. I'm traumatized right now personally. <laughs> Amen. I drove past the Powell exit yesterday morning at 1030. It was beautiful. Amen. Sunny. I'm thinking, Lord, this is not good, man. I said, God knows our sin, but he calls us by our name. That's better. Y'all were acting like at least Episcopalians now. We've got to step up from the double, the double, amen, thing, Catholic Church over yonder. We're moving in the right direction. Hopefully by the end of this meeting, we'll at least have them Baptist, amen. I'll, I'll shoot for Pentecostal if I get that far, but I'm, I'm, 
I'm not, I'm looking at, there is nothing right now, so y'all just help me, amen. <laughs> but in our text tonight, in all seriousness, Elijah has got a word from the Lord. And the Lord tells him to get to Ahab and tell him that he needs to, he needs to make preparation, eat and drink, for there's the sound of abundance of rain. Now listen, ladies and gentlemen, as I said, there's been no rain for over three years. And uh, he makes that prophecy, and then he ascends to Mount Carmel to pray. And although there's no biblical record of the amount of time that Elijah is in prayer, we know that he's earnestly seeking the Lord. He's praying for rain. He's praying for a miracle. And so he sends that servant out, to bring back the current weather forecast. He's watched the 11 o'clock news. Amen? And he goes out there to find out if there is a thundercloud on the horizon, if there is a, amen, a storm front brewing that's moving in this way. And I know y'all are flatlanders pretty much, but, but if you've ever been around large bodies of water, I grew up just outside of Chicago, and I realized early as a young man, ladies and gentlemen, that all the weather systems and patterns that affect that part of our country, the northwest Indiana, Chicagoland area, all build out over Lake Michigan. And all those weather patterns build over a body of water. If you've ever watched hurricanes, and I know, I know that to those of you that have got children, amen, going to school down in the Florida panhandle, you watch those, amen, very closely. And when you find one, it's built out over a body of water. When it hits land, it begins to lose strength and dissipate. He's looking for the evidence of a storm, and he brings the weather report. There is nothing. And I want to give you three things tonight that I believe will help you when you have something in your life. Amen. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's a medical diagnosis. Maybe if the financial reversal. Maybe it's a family event that threatens to blow apart what you know as family and what you've always held dear. I don't know what, it's, what it is, and I, I trust it's not something that is that traumatic. But ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you? Job made the statement, that which I have feared greatly has come upon me. You don't know when a phone call or a text message will absolutely, totally change life from that point on. We call them watershed events, meaning that prior to that, the, the water moved in one direction, and after that, the water began to flow in another direction. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm persuaded, I'm not trying to be, uh, amen, Debbie Downer tonight or Johnny Raincloud, but I am persuaded that if you live long enough, you are going to face a watershed event in your life. And I'm also persuaded that it's not the event that changes you. It's how you respond to the event. It's your attitude in the midst of the event. It's what you do and how you respond and how you allow God to take that event in your life and accomplish His purpose. I want you to look at verse 43. The Bible said, And He said unto His servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. Notice the next seven words. And he said, go again seven times. 
me say number one, when there's nothing, just keep looking. I said this morning, I'm kind of weird about numbers. I, there's significance to numbers in the Bible. Here's the number seven again. He said, go again seven times. Ladies and gentlemen, that number seven all, uh, oftentimes is, is a perpetual number. It means seven times and seven times again. And I don't know if he went seven times or, amen, seven times after the first time. I don't know. You can look at that one of two different ways. But the bottom line is he didn't just go one time and come back and say, there ain't nothing. We might as well give up. Amen. You know what we're prone to do? We're prone to come to an altar, Brother Bob. We're prone to come to an altar and pray about a situation and then go back to our seat or go back to our life and if nothing happens, we concluded that God's not interested in doing anything or there's just no hope. Ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you, there is hope when we come and we come to God. Listen, I'm, I'm thinking about a little widow woman, amen, that persuaded a judge, that unjust judge, amen, and wearied him by her much begging. Man, I, I, I stood convicted this morning as I preached that message again. Here's a woman who was willing to, for five months, abandon her home and abandon her life and abandon everything she knew. Amen. For the bodies of two boys that she was never going to get to hold again. And we're not willing to pay even a tenth of that price for kids and grandkids. Amen. Just keep looking. So I'm kind of picturing, I do, not, I do not know exactly how far it is from the top of Mount Carmel out there to the sea. But I'm in my mind picturing the number of times when I have, amen, gone back and forth Amen. Over over the over a piece over a part of a field or amen some tall grass. When I was a boy and used to play ball, we my mom and dad would get all kind of aggravated at me, Connie, because me and the, me and my friends would wear a baseline in the yard. My dad was one of those Jimmy that was fastidious about having the yard be green and the grass all manicured. I was the one that had to edge the driveway and the sidewalk. Amen. I'm not talking about, amen, one of those things where you crank up the gas engine. I'm talking about that dumb wheel on the end of a stick. <laughs> amen, and the only power it had was bicep, amen, and, lat and latissimus dorsi muscle. Amen. And you're running that thing, amen. And then, and then you know, that, the clippings just don't disappear themselves. Somebody say amen. And man, we'd get out there and play in the yard, June. Is it June? Remember right? I almost said August, and I knew, knew someone them, there was one of them summer months. I was going to be close enough, amen. And, uh, hey, we'd be out there running in the yard. Man, my dad, Steve, would get all kind of upset. He'd say, hey, boy, you're wearing a path in the yard. I got to thinking about this, this servant, Chris. He's gone out to the sea, and he's come back, and he said, there's nothing, and Elijah said, go again seven times. By the time that seventh time has come around, David, he's worn a pretty good path from where he's at to where he was going. Let me ask you a question. What kind of path is worn from your seat to an altar? Or you've got to get a machete spiritually 
to cut down the brush that has grown up in the way because it's been so long since you've come to God and poured out your heart to Him. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say, first of all, the first thing you need to do when there's nothing is just keep looking. Let me give you the second thing quickly. Back up to verse number 41. The Bible said in Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Not only when there is nothing do you just keep on looking, but can I say number two, when there's nothing, just keep on listening. Amen? You know what I've realized? God's Word doesn't change. It doesn't change with our perception of it. It doesn't change with what we think we see or what we think we know. Amen. I was preaching the other night, Friday night, down in, down in Athens, Tennessee, and I was preaching on the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah's solution to their childlessness was to take Hagar. And Abraham produced a child for Sarah through that servant because she is, amen, 90 years old and or she's up in years, she ain't 90 yet, but she's, she's well past childbearing age. And yet God's promise didn't change. Amen? And when, when, distinct, when, when desire and ability have long since been extinguished, God knew what he's doing and gave them, amen, Isaac. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a tendency, amen, when God tells us something, God puts something in our heart, we have a tendency to let what we see and what we think and what we think we know overrule all that. But can I remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that just as Jesus and the disciples in Mark chapter number five, Mark chapter number four, they're, getting, they're leaving Capernaum and they're going to the other side. They've got, Jesus has got an appointment with a man that we know as the maniac in the country of Gadara, and Jesus knows exactly what they're going to be sailing into, but he makes the statement, I think it's verse 36 or right around in there, if my memory serves me correctly, he said, let us go to the other side. And the storm didn't change that, not even one little bit. And can I just remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that a lot of times these two things that we put so much faith in don't always tell us exactly what's true. How many of you learned to drive on a car that had a manual transmission? Raise your hand. That's how, that's the new millennial theft-proof device. <laughs> Amen. Car thief sees a manual transmission, he just moves on to easier stuff. Amen. You know how to drive a manual. You've got to be able to have, coordinate two feet and a, a hand. Amen. And, uh, I remember I, my first car was a 1973 Plymouth Duster. Had that slant six engine and a three on the column, otherwise known as a three on the tree. Amen. First was, four, was back toward you and down. Second was all the way up. Third was straight down and reverses back toward you and up. You remember those? I remember that was before they had anything known as a hill brake. Amen. You really needed one more foot. Isn't that the truth? Listen, if you didn't have an emergency brake that worked, you had to really be, you had to really be good, man. 
you're sitting there on a hill, and especially if it's a, I mean, if it's a two-lane going in the same direction road, you're sitting there on a hill, you got your foot on the brake, Chris, somebody pulls up next to you, and all of a sudden out of the peripheral vision, you see them inch forward a little bit, and your eyes have lied to you and told you you've rolled backwards, and you stomp the brake like you're putting it through the floor, like you're going to do a Fred Flintstone, and you realize you hadn't moved a bit. You know what just happened? You experienced something called vertigo. You did. Your eyes lied to you. Nothing. You didn't move. Somebody else moved, but you perceived, amen, because of your perspective and the fact that you were sitting on an incline, you perceived that you went backward when actually you didn't move at all. That car next to you moved forward a little bit. And I always love doing that when I notice somebody next to me has got a manual transmission. <laughs> By the way, some of y'all didn't think I noticed y'all switch sides again. Y'all need to knock that off. We're going to assign seats tomorrow night. Bless God, don't you move again unless you got a visitor. Amen? Amen. Listen, you can't always trust your eyes, man. You can't always trust what you think you know. We all okay tonight? You'll be glad to know this is the last point. <laughs> Look at verse number 44. The Bible said it came to pass. There's no one in them verses. Aren't you glad it didn't come to stay? Amen. Came to pass. The seventh time, he said, Behold, there arise a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. Now, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, Craig, I think I know whose hand that was. Way out there. Amen. Where's the, where's the cruise lady? Amen. <laughs> Miss... Miss Caribbean. Amen. Hey, I've been on those. I, I, my favorite part, I'm telling you honestly, my favorite part is when we're so far out in the ocean we can't see land. I can't see land anywhere. It's just water. And way out there, way out there where the water and the horizon meet. I mean way out there, Joe, is a cloud the size of a man's hand. I want you to notice what he says in verse number 45. The Bible said, the Bible said, and it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. I said, first of all, when there's nothing, just keep looking. Secondly, when there's nothing, just keep listening. Let me say number three, when there's nothing, verse 45 says, in the meanwhile. Can I put it this way? When there's nothing, just keep living for God. Amen? Because you have no idea what's going to happen in your meanwhile. The Bible said that little cloud, preacher, that, that looked like it was way out there on the horizon and, and, man, offered maybe a little, I mean, maybe a dash of hope, but not much more than that. In the meanwhile, amen, turned into a sky that was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say this? Hey, the devil's going to do a lot on life's journey to get you to doubt God and to get you to throw in a towel and quit and get you to bail out and get you to blame God and get you bitter. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say this? Just keep looking, just keep listening, and just keep living for God. You know, the interesting thing about the story in Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter, the part of the parable that we know as the prodigal son, 
The prodigal son did not leave home because of his father. He left home because of himself. Do you know why he came back, Jim? <laughs> he said, the servants in my father's house have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. You know what he knew? He knew Dad be standing in the same place he'd always stood. He knew Dad hadn't changed his doctrine. He knew Dad hadn't changed his position. Amen. He knew dad, he knew dad hadn't moved out of town and amen, changed where he was worshiping. And he knew what he was coming back to, and that brought him in the midst of a lot of confusion. Steve, it brought him a great deal of comfort. So much so that that next morning he turned in his slop bucket and said to that farmer that he was working for for amen in fact we don't even know what he's working for because i've heard i've heard preachers say that he was working for the husks that the swine did eat but the bible said he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave him so he couldn't even eat that listen i'm not a i'm not a country boy i've said this before you preachers never heard it so you can courtesy laugh so he thinks it's funny but I, I've told folks all over, listen, I'm a city boy. I was born in a city, Kansas City. I grew up in Chicago, and I'm going to a city one day. My only country experiences I've ever had have happened in a Cracker Barrel restaurant. <laughs> so I know nothing about country life, except when I go out and hang with the henchens. Amen? And I still, to this day, have never squeezed a cow's udder. And if I, if I can get through the church age without ever having done that, I'll consider myself a blessed individual. <laughs> Amen. Chris has tried to goad me into doing that. And I'm like, oh, I'm good. No need. To, I'm 57. Ain't no need to start that kind of thing now. I'd let you do it and drink it. Amen. But country. I'm trying to think where I was going now. I hate. I hate it when that happens. I can usually bluff my way out of this at this point, but I can't do that right now. Where was I going? Do you have any idea where I was going? You're going to leave me up here hanging too, huh? I feel like my, you know. I'll get it back here in a minute, I think. Huh? Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I know where I was going now. Thank you. appreciate that. I forgot what I was even talking about. Prodigal son, hog pen. Hogs don't eat out of a trough. <laughs> they eat off the ground. I'm not a real smart guy, Jimmy. But I know what hogs do on the ground. Amen. They, there's, there's hog exhaust down there. <laughs> Amen. Liquid and solid. We all okay? Was that a diplomatic way to say what I was trying to say? <laughs> I thought I really need to be diplomatic. Y'all are farmers, man. Come on now. But, but I'm just saying, there's nothing about that that would be appealing to me. Amen. I mean, liver is just right above that for me. But the bottom line is, he's so hungry. He's looking at that, Steve, and thinking, man, that would make a great meal right now. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says he comes to himself. And he said, I'll arise and go to my father. And I can see when he hands that slop bucket 
to his boss that next morning. This is him going back home. And that farmer, probably a sarcastic, hardened old man, says to him, home, huh? If I was your dad and you knocked on my door, I'd tell you to keep moving. And I don't know if that conversation was had, but if it was, I think I know how he responded. He said, but you don't know my father. And can I say this tonight? If you've made a mess of your life and the devil's telling you, if I was your dad, I'd run you out of town. See, he just don't know your dad. I'm not talking about the one that brought you into this world with your mom. I'm talking about that one. Amen? Because the story we have in Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter, is the story of a man who, as far as I can tell from the text, every day that boy left was looking down the road, David waiting for him to return. Because the Bible said when he is a great way off, his father saw him, and he ran to him, and he fell on his neck. Jimmy didn't say, go, in, go get a shower first, boy, you stink to high heaven, and then, we'll, and then we'll make up. He didn't care about that. In fact, in fact, if I understand the context of that story and how people lived, he's going to have to enter that city through the city gate. Indulge me a minute. If you understand the significance of the city gate, that was where all the old men sat. That was where all the decisions were made. That was where the city fathers met and conducted business. Brother Chris, I think what that dad did was saw his boy approaching that city gate and did not want his boy to have to walk through that gauntlet of elders by himself. And so he ran out there and walked through, walked through that gauntlet of judgmental people and wanted everybody to know, this is my boy. He's come back home. <laughs> Amen? And can I say this tonight, friend? I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know where you are or what your current situation. I, I know you're here in church tonight. I'm glad you're here in church tonight at Sunday night, amen, March the 17th at 8 o'clock in the evening. But just because you're here in church physically doesn't mean you're here with your whole heart. And if we were honest, we've all had times when we've been here, but we weren't here. We were marked present physically, but we weren't present spiritually. And we certainly weren't present emotionally. And there might be something weighing on you and you don't have an answer and you don't know what's going to happen and everything you see comes back with those three words ringing in your ears. There is nothing. Can I say just keep looking? Just keep listening? And just keep living for God? Because you have no idea what God's going to do in your meanwhile. Father, we ask now tonight